Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Morning. How are you all? So we have two more weeks before our senior pastor is back. I spoke to him last week, and he is having an extremely relaxing time. So he's um, he's doing well. He's looking forward to coming back. Um, so we are this morning in our series James 3 or 316, Timeless Truths. Um, and this morning we're in um, the book of James. Um, let's get stuck in. I'm going to start chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his conduct, he should show his works are done with gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense." And the fruit of righteousness is sown when in peace by those who cultivate peace. So we live in an information age. So I read somewhere that we have more access to information now than all of the generations who have lived before us. Um, I own a Kindle, I love reading. I don't read as much as I'd like. Um, usually if it's got lots of people being stabbed or there's a guy riding a dragon with a sword, like, <laughs> awesome. But I don't get to read those books very much anymore. So I had a look yesterday, and the latest Kindle, the standard version, is 16 gigabytes, which actually doesn't seem like a lot in our world of terabytes and whatever's bigger than that. But that means, on average, it can hold around 4,500 books, depending on, obviously, size of files. Now, if you were to read a book from that Kindle one a week, every week, it would take you 86 and a half years to read all of your books on that Kindle. And that's only the books that you have on the Kindle. That's not all the books that have ever been written. Um, the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, don't worry, I'm not commenting on anything what he says or does. But he's obviously one of the most popular and influential podcasters around at the moment and has been for years. He has released 5,567 hours worth of podcast content. And to listen to all of that would take 232 days or just around... 7.5 months. And that's just one podcast of thousands, if not millions, of podcasts available for us to listen to. As of the middle of last year, there was 500 hours 
of video being uploaded to YouTube every minute. That's 30,000 hours of video uploads per hour and equates to 720,000 hours of video content uploaded every day. So to put that in perspective, it would take close to 82 years to watch the amount of videos uploaded to YouTube in only one hour. So we don't have a shortage of information. All of the information at our fingertips, all of the time. The question is though, has all of this information made us wiser? We can know more about more things and find answers to more questions than anyone who has ever lived before us. James chapter 3, verse 17. I'm going to be jumping a tiny bit over this passage. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. So the question remains is, has having the information of the entire human history made us more like those things? Has it made us more Jesus-like? James argues, and we'll get into it, that the information in and of itself can't because wisdom is not necessarily about information. Wisdom and information are not the same things. So this morning we're going to look at this passage from James to see what it has to say about all of this because there are different types of wisdom and there are different motivations for gaining wisdom. And it's important to know what type of wisdom you are pursuing because the outcome might actually not be what you're expecting. The book of James is jam-packed full of wisdom. You want to know about enduring trials? It's there. You want to know what faith is? How to tame the tongue? How to submit to God? It's all there. Do you want to know if you have godly wisdom or worldly wisdom? He tells us that also. What James is saying in this passage is that if the wisdom you have isn't either from God or isn't for God's glory, then it's worthless because it isn't going to produce what you think it's going to produce. And I get that that might be standing on some toes because the world tells us that we should be gaining more knowledge and that we should become wise. So we need to have a look at what the difference is between what, they, what the Bible says about worldly wisdom and what the Bible says about godly wisdom. So that's our first question this morning. What is the difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom? The Cambridge Dictionary 
says this about wisdom, that it is the ability to use your knowledge and experience to make good decisions and judgments. And like I said just before, some may be thinking that, well, wisdom's wisdom. There's no difference. Let's see what James says. Verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So there is wisdom that is not from above. There's wisdom that is from below. And it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And then verse 17, as we've already read, but the wisdom from above is first pure, and so it goes on. So there is wisdom that is different and that comes from different places. So let's just say you have a problem that you need to solve. You have a life decision that you need to make. Or you simply want more information about something. So what do we do? What do we normally do? You go ask a friend for advice. Guarantee you're going to Google it. And I'm not saying that your friend or Google can't offer you answers. But the thing is, what James is saying here is that if you want godly wisdom, then you can't get it from anyone but God. And often what happens is that we ask God, God, please help me in this situation. And then you don't hear anything. So then you go, well, did I ask the wrong question? Did God not answer? Can I not hear him? So you start to question all the other stuff. Or you don't hear what you want to hear. So then you go, well, hang on. Was that me? Was that God? Because that doesn't sound like, I don't know. Or we hear something contrary to popular belief. Oh, that can't possibly be the answer, God, because society says that that's bad now. So what do we do? We go and ask someone else or something else to get a quicker answer that meets our needs. The world tells you that we should be good leaders. And I completely agree with that. So what do we do? We listen to a bunch of podcasts, read a bunch of books. But the thing is, there is heaps in here on what leadership actually is. The thing is, it doesn't come as a five-point plan. You have to read it. You have to discern it. You have to live it. The world says a bunch on sexuality and sexual ethics. Do we go with what the world says because it's convenient and you don't want to be called a bigot or you don't want to be on the wrong side of history? Or do you get your sexual ethics from the one who created it? The world tells us that you can marry whoever you want and if you decide you don't like them, then you can just leave because that's your choice because your life is all about you. Is that what we believe? 
Or do we go to the one who created marriage? Do we go to the one who instructs us on how a husband should behave and how a wife should behave with love, respect and mutual submission? The world tells us that money is the most important thing. Apparently it makes the world go round. You want more of it all the time. So you can buy all the things that we all desperately need. I need a new iPhone, just to say. Because I don't have one, because money won't let me. So what do we do? You read a whole bunch of books, or you listen to The Barefoot Investor, to learn how to get more of it. And all of those things aren't bad, because we want to have good hands and good stewardship with our money. But do we just live in the way that the world tells us to live and not even consider that perhaps there's something more important than money going on here? Because God actually says that money can't be worshipped alongside of him. So what do we do? The thing is, the idea of going to someone else rather than God is something that has happened since pretty much the beginning of creation. Genesis 2, or in Genesis 2, God gives Adam and Eve his instructions. Do this, don't do that. He gives them his wisdom and his grace. And then we get into chapter 3. And the serpent comes and gives wisdom contrary to God's wisdom. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. We'll just briefly go there. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruits and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. The tree was good, desirable for wisdom. So she ate it, and then Adam followed. They went to another source for wisdom, and in so doing so, brought brokenness and sin into the world. The thing is, they were searching for an answer, and they got it. But it was contrary to God's wisdom. And what was the result? Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. They realized they were naked, that they were sinful, and they covered themselves. They got wisdom from another source other than God, which led to insecurity and shame. And the result of that is that they hid from God and pretended that nothing was wrong. So back to James. He says in verse 15 that wisdom doesn't come from above or um, that, that wisdom that doesn't come from above or from God is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. So we need to break down what he means by that. So firstly, that wisdom doesn't come from above is earthly. One commentator said that this isn't talking about a physical element but more of an, a moral one. An earthly source of wisdom is one that is not considering eternity. It is derived from the viewpoint of what you see is what you get. 
Like we live on this world. We live a certain amount of years. That's all we need to consider, right? There's no eternity. The problem is that this overlooks James chapter 4, verse 4, that tells us that our life is like a vapour. And we spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. The thing is, what really matters is not the next 10, 20 or 50 years, but what actually matters is the next 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, a million years, because that's actually what our focus is on. We need to make decisions based on that reality, not the fact that we're only here on this earth for a short period of time. The second thing that James says is that the wisdom that doesn't come from above is unspiritual. This is a wisdom that is selfish and self-seeking. It's not sensitive to the Spirit of God, His prompting or His leading. So, around 12 years ago, Marnie and I did what we thought was the most spiritual thing you could possibly ever do. And we went, on a, we went to be international missionaries. We sold some stuff, put some stuff in a container, it's fuzzy. And we went overseas and followed what we thought was God's call on our lives into international missions. I had never dreamed that I would ever, ever be a pastor of a church. Never wanted to do it. Always thought that I'd be an international, do international missions. It's the reason why I initially went to Bible college. To cut a long story short, because a whole bunch of stuff happened, but nothing worked out. Literally nothing. We stepped out in what we thought was faith. And we went, oh, we'll step out and God will bless it. Guess what? We spent months overseas and nothing worked. And I spent hours praying for God to speak. Direct us. What do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? How can I serve you? And guess what God said? Nothing. Nothing. The only time that God spoke when we were overseas doing this was when we'd finally decided that it really wasn't working out and that we were going to come home. And the only time that God spoke to me in that entire time was to say, when you go back home, go back to Bible college. And it's like, come on, man. <laughs> and the thing is, after I'd gotten over my crisis of faith, because it's like, God, where were you? When we stepped out in faith and you didn't answer, oh my gosh. <laughs> and the humiliation... It was one of the most humbling experiences of our lives, or my life at least anyway, because we're like, we're going on, we're going to serve God, and it's going to be wonderful. And four months later, you're back, and you're like, how did it go? And you went, it didn't. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, what God began to show me was that even though I thought that I was stepping out in faith and following Him, that I thought that my motivation to go out and to follow him was God's will for my life, I actually realized that I'd never really spoken to him about it. Because I just went, that's what I want to do. And off I go. Yes. 
When we got home, I went to Bible college. And yes, it was about learning, but it was about so much more stuff for me. You would go, God, why am I here again? Because I'm not sure if you're trustworthy because you didn't bless the last time. So it's like, so he took me through that whole process. But when I'd go, God, where, where, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How can I serve you? His answer for four and a half years that I was at college was, you're where I want you to be, trust in my providence. That was it. I had no idea why I was there. You talk, you know, you go around the room sometimes in Bible college and you go, why are you here? And they go, oh, you know, everyone wants to be a a senior pastor of a massive church or a youth pastor. That was pretty much the two choices everyone who goes to Bible college seems to have. And you'd go, and they get to me and you go, why are you here? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm here because I'm being obedient. And the thing is, in those four and a half years, I obviously learned a lot of stuff, but what I did learn is that God is faithful and that if you are walking in the steps that he's provided for you, he is trustworthy and he is good. And that's what I learned. I hold this whole thing really lightly because God tomorrow might go, your time is done and it'll be upsetting, but I will go because that's the most important thing to me. That's what God's taught me over that period of time. And the thing is, that makes no sense to the world. The idea that you would make decisions based on something that you think God is, you're hearing from God other than logical sense, it doesn't make sense to the world because the wisdom of the world is self-seeking. Do what's right for you. The third thing that James says about wisdom not being from above is that it's demonic. It's a strong word. What he's saying is that it is not honouring to God and not only did God not create this type of wisdom, it came from another source. The wisdom of the serpent in Genesis is not of God. It's from below. And it's the same here in James. The thing is, this type of wisdom usually isn't loud. It's not in your face. It's subtle. And that's why it's so dangerous. Because this type of wisdom wisdom doesn't seem like it's got a pitchfork and horns. It masquerades as godly wisdom and as good conduct. It masquerades as sound logic. And the thing is, when you first bite into it, it tastes really sweet. But it doesn't take long for it to become bitter. This is opposed. So how are we we all going? Are we okay? Yeah? Good. This is opposed to the godly wisdom in 317. I'll read it for, I don't know, is it the fifth time now I've read it? Okay. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. Now, most commentators make this a, or make peace the primary um, attribute and the rest follow subsequently, okay? So the basic flow of thought is this. In order for wisdom to be pure, 
it cannot be mixed with anything worldly or demonic. If the wisdom is half good, then it can't be pure. And therefore, it can't be described as godly wisdom. A wisdom that is pure remains singularly focused on God without any tugs of loyalty elsewhere. Let me give you an example. An attribute in that list is compliant. So let's just say you're compliant to things or to a person or to a situation. But what if you're compliant because you want something from that person? Or what if you're compliant because you want to avoid something? Like conflict. That would then mean that that compliant is self-seeking. It's self-focused. And therefore, according to James's definition, isn't pure. I'm not saying that you just go to work now and go, oi, like, I'm not being compliant because it's for my own sake. There's grace in all of this. There's wisdom in all of this. Like I said before, oh no, I skipped a thing. Okay. James chapter 1, verse 17 tells us this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. And James chapter 1, verse 5 says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. So the thing is, like I said before, if you want to learn about leadership, sex, marriage, money, like whatever it is, we should be going to God first. And God's answer might not be what we want to hear. It might be culturally insensitive. Or it might not be in our time frames. But as Hebrew tells us, our journey with God is a marathon. Marathons take time. They take endurance. They take hard work. They take sacrifice. They take discomfort. So if you want wisdom, we need to go to God first because he's actually the only source of godly wisdom. So the second question we're going to ask this morning is what is godly wisdom motivated by? So you want to be wise? Why? Why do you want to be wise? Now, everybody wants to be seen as wise, yeah? No one wants to be a fool, or to be at least seen as a fool. Everyone, at some point, wants to be the person that others go to to seek advice. And it's nice when someone asks our advice. It makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. 
Let's have a look at James chapter 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. James is saying that if you are asking for wisdom because you are envious of other people or you want to be smarter than other people or you want to be wise for your own ambition or honour, maybe you just want to consume knowledge so you don't have to ask anybody for wisdom, including God, then that wisdom, James is saying, is unclean, it's impure and it can't be blessed by God. If we look at Solomon's story in 1 Kings, chapter 3. Now, it would have been poetic if it was chapter 3, verse 16 in Kings, but it's not. So, verse 8, or sorry, starting at verse 7. Lord my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen. Are people too many to be numbered or counted? And then he goes on to ask for wisdom. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people, discern between good and evil. Solomon asks for wisdom and God not only gives him that, but gives him everything else as well. And we think, oh, well, I want everything. So what I'll do is I'll be like Solomon and I'll ask for wisdom first and then God will give me all the other things. But the thing is, he keeps referring to himself as God's servant. He humbles himself before the Lord. The wisdom that Solomon seeks is not motivated by envy or selfish ambition. It remains singularly focused on God without any tugs of loyalty elsewhere. So if you're pursuing wisdom and if you desire to learn and know more about, well, more in, sorry, let me read that again. If you're pursuing wisdom and you want to know more, the important question that you need to ask is if the pursuit is attached to selfish goals. And if it is, then go and ask God to deal with your heart. If you are pursuing wisdom and it's about envy, then go to God and ask him to remind you that your life isn't about you. It's actually about Jesus. So the last question we need to ask then is this. What does godly wisdom look like? Chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. This tells us that godly wisdom is shown by good conduct, not wise words. And that his works are gentle. Godly wisdom looks like gentleness. Other translations translate it as either humility or meekness. 
and the attributes of God of a godly wise person that James lists in verse 17. I'm not going to read them again. None of these attributes have anything to do with intellectual information or intelligence. They're action words. And the question I asked at the start, with all this access that we have to information, has it made us become more like Jesus? James chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that where wisdom is from below, where it's present, that is motivated by envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Would you say that the world's more peaceful now than ever? There is more division and chaos than ever in the world. Because the fruit of worldly wisdom are those things. Humanity's pursuit of wisdom and truth as a self-seeking pursuit is getting exactly what James said it would. Division, disorder, and every evil practice. Now the thing is, this isn't to say learning and studying is not a noble venture. He's not saying that we should go back to the dark ages with just our Bible eating dirt. That's not what he's saying, okay? But what James is saying is don't bank on worldly wisdom being the source of purity. Don't bank on worldly wisdom being the source of peace in the world. Don't bank on study being the thing that will produce fruit in your life. Because it doesn't have its, if, because if it doesn't have its foundations in God, or if it isn't done for God's glory, then it actually can't produce that. That's not what the equation is. So one commentator said this: If the more you know isn't translating to the more you love God or the more you love people, then the more you know is worthless. If the wisdom you have or are gaining doesn't translate into a deeper love for God or a deeper love for people that they would know Jesus and his grace, then that wisdom is not the wisdom that God is looking for. So let's finish up. Last question. I know I said the last question was the last question, but this is the last, last question. How do we get it? How do we get biblical wisdom? Now, I'm just going to go through this briefly because everyone actually already knows how. All of you do. It's not sexy or exciting. It's not quick, and it's certainly not easy. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 23 and 24, Solomon makes it clear that getting wisdom is a challenging process. He writes, I have tested all this by wisdom. I resolved I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it? The thing is, fortunately, Scripture provides us with some instructions and some guidance in this area. So here are four biblical instructions for how to get wisdom. The first one is fear God. 
Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, Solomon tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But how do we fear God? That's the important question in this. One author writes this. The scripture writers talk about the fear of Yahweh. This phrase is used all throughout the Bible. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people explain it away. Saying something like, fear doesn't really mean fear. It means reverence or respect. Just saying I've used that argument. It goes on. That's funny because it says fear. Scripture has dozens of stories about men and women who encounter Yahweh and in just about every story, they are scared to death. Yahweh is terrifyingly good. Another um, author I was actually listening to said something similar, but then he questions if fearing God isn't this awe and reverence thing, does it actually mean that we are to be afraid of God? So he asked that question. Now he says, no, we're not meant to be afraid of God. But the fear of God means that you are supremely concerned with what God is supremely concerned about. So much so that you are willing to sacrifice your dreams, your choices, your wealth, or whatever you value to place more value on what God values. That's the fear of the Lord. Second point, desire wisdom. Desiring wisdom with all of your heart. As Solomon says, we must look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 4. It's something valuable and we need to search for it. Remember though what we've discussed today. Your desire must be pure and not envious or selfish. If you're not sure, ask God to examine your heart. Third thing, pray for wisdom. As James tells us in chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. Ask God for wisdom. Just don't expect to wake up like a wise old owl tomorrow, though. That's not the economy of God. Wisdom takes time. And the fourth step for getting wisdom is studying and meditating on God's word. Yet again, something that takes time and effort and sacrifice. So to get wisdom, we must fear God, study his word, and prayfully desire to understand life from God's perspective. If you do these things, sit back and watch God do amazing work in your life. Let us pray.